When you know that you are queer, but your favorite drink is beer, that's gayish. You can bottom without stopping, but you can't stand going shopping, that's gayish. Oh, gayish, you're probably gayish. Well, life's just too short for narrow stereotypes, so it's gayish. We're also gayish. It's gayish with Mike and Kyle. Hello, everyone in the podcast universe. This is gayish. The best sounding podcast since that one episode of What's Your Safe Word? <laughs> Wait, what? Oh, ha, sounding, 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 <clears throat> putting things in your dick. Okay, uh, <laughs> I'm Mike Johnson. I'm Kyle Getz. <laughs> and we're here to bridge the gap between sexuality and actuality. And today, hey, Kyle. Um, we put the homo in homophones. Um, what? 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 <laughs> hey, Kyle. Hey, hey, Mike. <laughs> sounding, sounding like I don't want to yuck anybody's yum, but I just, I can't help it. Every time somebody says sounding in a like putting things in your dick way, I get like, I have this flash of like something getting stuck in there. And <laughs> Well, don't give me that mental image. Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want that. Uh, today. Today. We're going to talk about auto racing. Auto racing. But are we? Well, <laughs> in that auto racing will be mentioned. Yeah. And we'll have an, a guest who is an auto racer. Yeah. That's okay. pretty, that's pretty auto, auto racing heavy for us. That's true. I almost turned on the time cave because we have actually already had our interview with famed professional championship british race car driver who is a trans woman charlie martin yeah yeah we uh we spoke with her she's really awesome and she is uh, breaking the stereotypes in about a million different ways (laughs) as a uh auto racer and so yeah excited for y'all to hear that conversation yeah absolutely um but first but first the news that news, that news, that news, that news, that news, <laughs> the news, the news, the news, the news, the news. Send any news theme songs. Oh, wait, is it too late by the time this goes out? It is, but all of them sucked. So like, okay. if, we get, if we get some more that are late, it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. There Sorry. were some lovely, wonderful, awesome submissions. Um, and I could probably be talked into taking some late ones. They were due on Monday, you lazy fuckers. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, no, it's, it's far too late. <laughs> okay uh news the first great great we're gonna talk about a different kind of racing drag race uk Ooh. okay here's the thing you and i don't follow drag race right we don't really have any idea what's going on and i'm super nervous i'm gonna fuck something up the first thing i don't want to fuck up is spoiler alert i'm gonna say who won drag race uk and then talk about mm. her so if you don't want to hear that fast forward and don't bitch at me <laughs> second I don't actually know how to say her name, <laughs> and I'm sure I'm going to fuck it up, and somebody's going to be like, you didn't even know her fucking name. You're right. I don't even know her fucking name. Drag Race UK winner Lawrence Cheney has won Drag Race UK. Uh, I just said that. That's the redundancy school of redundancy right there. Um, anyway, uh, Drag Race UK winner Lawrence Cheney... Um, uh, won won the whole shebang here. She is from Scotland. She's the first Scottish queen to win to win the franchise, and uh, she is also at least in the UK version. I don't know if this is true of all of them, but the first plus sized drag queen to win drag race. And I think uh, you know, reading through this interview, she seems pretty great. She's very self effacing. She she just is, can't believe that she won, and was talking about how just a year ago she was doing a show for. 30 pounds in front of 20 people and <laughs> how uh she just um didn't really expect to make it this far or or do this well 
she has uh, expressed her support for Scottish independence, saying that Scotland needs, quote, to have power over our own country in the wake of COVID. So it's interesting to win Drag Race UK when you're saying you don't want to be in the UK no more. Um. <laughs> yeah, but like if you're forced to be a part of it, then you should be able to like take part in all the like things that it has to offer. You know, you, you, it's got to be one way or another. Yeah. Okay. I'm with you. Hear that, Texas? <laughs> God. Yeah. That that whole talk of Texas independence really slowed down after that big thing took out all the power. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So she said that Rue gave her some really good advice uh, backstage. She asked, how did you do it? How did you become the drag superstar? And Rue said, the trick is know your craft and be able to take criticism from those that you care to take the criticism from. Hmm. But also the trick is being around long enough to reap the rewards of the work you put in 20 years ago. And I think that that's excellent advice. Yeah. So we're going to keep doing gayish until we're in our 70s. Are you if, ready for that? <laughs> and, and that's when we're going to get all the rewards. Yeah. Yep, Just exactly. young hot listeners throwing themselves at us. And we'll be like, yeah, this is what I worked for. Yeah, well, apparently all you got to do is is talk about having a jockstrap picture on Discord, and they'll do that for you anyway. If you, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, did that work out good? A little bit, yeah. Okay. I, I know how you feel about hitting on listeners. Yep. Um, okay, news the second. Oh, wait, what? Was that your gayest and straightest at the end of this episode? No. It was last episode. It was last episode. Okay, time cave. I don't know time which episode cave. we're in. Go ahead. I, I, I appreciate you looking out for my time caveness, though. Yeah, I just but, didn't know if we were you were referencing a thing that they haven't heard that we've heard and, and they were going to hear, but then, nah, it's okay. Yeah, nobody's listening. Who cares? Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, news the second, and I think this is probably news the last because I can't find my other tab. I closed it. Ooh. Oh, no. Okay. I found it. Just found another it. white man erasing the history. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Well, this is going to go over great because uh, Sports Illustrated has Uh-oh. chosen its first black Asian trans swimsuit model. Wow. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. So, so of course, I had to erase her, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> um, Lena Bloom is, quote, honored to be a representation of all the communities I grew up, I grew from as she breaks barriers in, in the fashion industry. Uh, uh, she's a native of Chicago. She's featured in the pages of Sports Illustrated's 2021 swimsuit issue, becoming the first black Asian trans model to appear in the magazine. She follows Valentina Sampaio, who last year became Sports Illustrated's first trans model at all. And uh, she's fucking beautiful because, of course, she is. <laughs> and uh, I, I, it's it's really cool because like, I, I think I don't know about you, but I think of Sports Illustrated in general, but especially the swimsuit edition as being this just like broy straight guy toxic zone of horse oh, shit yeah and, i remember having to pretend like i cared about it back when i was straight yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. You, you buy one just to improve your cred Ooh, cool <laughs> oh it fell out of my bag everybody look at my swimsuit edition oh my, of oh my god i was looking at these girls and got such a boner in my penis because <laughs> i was very into it oh god um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty fucking fantastic to make, to make these kinds of strides in that space, if you ask me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, it's, it's always interesting when you start to hear the waves of the first, this, the first, that, because, um, 
you know, you have to go through those firsts and, and the idea would be that you don't have to anymore count the number of times a certain trans person or person of color, or, you know, this or that has been on a magazine. Cause like, it's just representative of the population or what's, but um, you know, you got to go through those waves of firsts and seconds and, you know, to, yeah. to get there. So every first is a pro is progress. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, sports illustrated posted on their Instagram, a thing that says, why Lena? Quote, Lena is legendary in the world of activism, strikingly gorgeous, and has an undeniable sense of self that shines through the minute she walks on set. Her story represents one grounded in resilience, and we couldn't be more thrilled to help her tell it. Her presence as the first trans woman of color to be in our issue is a result of her lifetime dedication to forging her own path that has led to acceptance, love, and change. She represents every person's right to love themselves and be who they want to be. We are honored to have her in this year's edition, this year's issue and understand the effect it will have on so many others. She joins our team, not because of what she represents, but because of her beauty, commitment, and desire to leave the world a better place. That's great. Thanks, SI. Yeah. Last but not least. Great. Yeah, I should have I should have had her be last because she was the she was the she was the good news. I fucked up my oh, shit sandwich, Kyle. No. I put it on the outside of the bread. Okay. <laughs> um so the state of New Hampshire's House of Representatives was scrutinizing a bill to ban the so-called gay and trans panic defenses, mm -hmm. which we've talked about on the show before. The measure would stop defendants from citing a victim's sexual orientation or gender identity to justify their crime. However, Republican State Representative Dick Marston uh, was f in a speech fighting against the idea of this bill saying that it was unnecessary. I have to reload this page because a fucking ad is over with the shit that I need to read. Man, I haven't been reloaded in so long. Thanks, I know, COVID. me neither. Thanks, COVID. I need an injection so I can get an injection. <laughs> um, uh, so he said it's unnecessary. Quote, we're all the same breed. We're all the same people. If you kill somebody, you should be charged for murder and you should be tried on it. And there's no way in heck that you're going to be able to say, well, because he or she was some deviant sexuality that I'm not. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> Which it's funny because that's exactly fucking what people are saying, right? Like that I had to kill them because they were hitting on me. That's yeah. why it's a thing at all. So him saying it's ludicrous that people would say that is fucking stupid because it's happening yeah. but then of course you heard it too i'm sure deviant sexuality people people really uh had a, of course a, a hard time with that one yeah. um the committee chair also a republican daryl abbas uh drowned him out with a gavel quote <laughs> no member can speak of someone's deviant sexuality like that wow i mean that that is a, a positive thing but the like it's like don't speak of those deviants that way like the the, the <laughs> fact that it keeps using that like yeah those deviants are my friends <laughs> i'm friends with those sexual deviants like it's <laughs> i get yep. that they're quoting each other or like whatever but that still, still feels weird yep now i am interested in all of this stuff i'm interested in your reaction to his apology <sighs> representative marston who is 80 has since apologized for the comment said quote before I asked for forgiveness, in my heart, I believed that I needed to improve myself and learn from this experience so it would not happen again. And more importantly, I could educate others to be respectful of all people, including members of the LGBTQ plus community. 
I come from a generation where my comments were accepted by society. However, just because I am in my 80s is no excuse to justify my comments. Rather, it is a reminder of the progress our society has made. I am sorry I was late in joining the rest of you who already made that progress. What do you think? I mean, is that the full apology? Did he ever actually apologize? Um, Did I I hear the words, I'm sorry? (laughs) Good question. No. No, no. I, uh, the, uh, so here, I mean, I, I think we too often jump to labeling someone as homophobic, uh, a homophobic person for a yeah. homophobic comment. And he seems like someone that may be open to learning and, and, and developing and growing. So just kind of writing him off, I think, is the wrong thing to do. He clearly didn't understand. Like, it wasn't that he was saying, like, people should be able to use that defense. I'm in support of that defense. He just didn't understand that people have in the last several years. I think it, in Texas was the latest one I came across. And we, we talked about um, mm. uh, people using that, the gay panic defense or trans panic defense. Like he just doesn't understand that people have and continue to use that. Yeah. So he's someone that. It's, sounds- and successfully. Like I, I forget yes. if we said this earlier when we were talking about it today on the show today, but like people are successfully getting away with murder because they claim they had to, because they were getting hit on by a gay person. Are they like, I, I mean the, the latest cases I tend to hear are, are like reduced sentences and, and, and far less common than it used to be. Have you heard, have, are people getting off? <laughs> um, <laughs> Nobody's getting off. <laughs> no one's getting off. That's the truth. I, I just have not heard many cases recently of people actually getting off using those defenses. And it has died down a lot, the use of that than it used to be, but it is still on the books and still available and still being used. So yeah. uh, to me, it's, I, I get why someone may think, oh, this doesn't happen anymore. Also, if it doesn't happen anymore, why not just pass that thing and then you know, make it official. Like it, it yep. it's, it's a, doesn't that, that logic doesn't add up to me on let's not pass this thing because it doesn't happen anymore because it, yeah. I mean, anyway, Republicans point- love the, it's not necessary thing. Yeah. Like it's words, just write the words down. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, but anyway, it, it sounded like he was someone who, um, didn't understand and was kind of doing the like, oh, I'm colorblind or everyone's just people these days or whatever. And, and even when he said sexual deviance, he was quoting someone, you know, it was just he wasn't directly saying it. he was quoting it still came off real bad. Anyway, uh, what I'm saying is it's it's uh, that one incident to me is murky enough that I could believe that it was an accident or he didn't know enough and. Uh, and you know given what he said you know could be could be learning i wish his apology contained a real apology i wish he said things specifically that he was doing to learn more about it uh it being a sexual deviance um but you know it seems like someone that is open to it and on the way there and that's we should be happy that someone is willing to listen and be open yeah yeah what about you what did you think I mean, I think the I was just old and therefore I'm bigoted excuse gets used a lot and people use that a lot on old people's behalf. Like when when my when my when my less awesome grandparents were alive, uh, they definitely had horribly racist, bigoted things that they would say. And uh, it, it, it would have been easy to let their age be a justification. But my mom's parents aren't like that. Like, and they're just as old. So like, yeah. 
uh, it's just it's it's interesting to me and and using the old excuses like pretty condescending to old people like oh they're old they can't learn new information or they can't like they can't have genuine discussions they you know that's a little bit like shitty yeah yeah um i i i found a longer version of his uh apology and uh he said quote i pray that the people i offended can find it in their hearts to forgive me and accept my apology for the people who are not ready to forgive me i understand All I ask is that you not give up on me because I give my word that I continue my progress and guide others to being better people. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Anyway, that's the news. That's the news. Uh, Well, I'd like to (laughs) apologize to the following (laughs) Patreon members. I mean, thank them for joining. Uh, Thank you to Michael Podlin. Um, Podlin sounds like a new podcasting app that's going to fail in three months. Um, (laughs) Daniel uh, Shiriwastow. Sorry, again. Nailed it. Nailed that one. This is where the apology comes in. Sorry. Uh, Josh Buckley and uh, Leanne Mumley. Oh, nice. So uh, thank you so much for supporting us. Sorry for the names I got wrong, except for Josh. I think I pretty much nailed that. I don't need Leanne. I don't know. You're you're iffy. (laughs) Sorry, just in case. Um, uh, If you want to join Patreon and get bonus content episodes a day early and have me apologize to you for saying your name wrong, go to patreon.com slash gayish podcast. Awesome. Please do it yeah uh so you want to talk about auto racing yeah yeah let's start by so since we already kind of gave away that we already had the conversation before you did research i'm sorry i'm so open about that i just I yeah can't, i've told I you can't. to lie more but that's fine <laughs> 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 what did you know about yeah like at least we don't have to pretend now what did you know about what was your auto racing experience before looking up stuff for this episode um i mean I've gone to a couple of drag races before. Um, like which drag is, race, like 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 two uh, like, side by side racing correct. down and then the, okay. Yeah. And I've gone to like time trials before too, where it's one car, but they keep track of the numbers. And because um, I grew up in the country, that was a thing that we did sometimes. <laughs> um, but I mean, that's really it. I have a hard time also like seeing it as a sport. It's in that like oh. that and and fishing and um uh there's another oh, like pool like I get that they take skill a lot of skill and they take a lot of training and it's highly competitive but it's not I, I don't think of it as being like athletic so it's like all of the shit that I hate about sports with none of the athleticism. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Is that but, really what you want to say before we have on an auto racer as a guest on the show? Well, so here's here's the thing. I probably would have said that and not felt bad about it before having her on. But talking to her about that that whole experience and and what it's like and the endurance that's involved and the the training and the skill. And she goes to the gym and she kicks ass and is a ninja warrior. Like yeah. it really it really it really um, makes me re visit all of these opinions that i have about auto racing so it's almost better that we're doing this after okay the fact great <laughs> you know? i'm glad you brought it back to <laughs> i'm glad you took it there instead of yeah yeah i get that um, how about you what do you, do you know have you ever have you raced are you a racer <laughs> have i do i race <laughs> um 
No, it's, uh, I actually have uh, watched on TV an F1 race from start okay. to finish. I went with my friend Agassiz to it, it starts in the early morning to some British or something kind of bar that that the only place we could find in Seattle that televises these kinds of like, you know, European more focused things. So F1, they get to think that they're fancier than like NASCAR and everything. So uh, I've watched an entire F1. I, and it's it's one of those sports where just like other sports, like I actually can get into it if I'm sitting there watching, like I start to care. Also, some of the guys are really hot. Um, mm. And so then I care, like, you know, they, they use the first three letters of their last name. So I start cheering for butt and I'm like, go, butt, go <laughs> get ahead. Like, you know, um, so it's very enjoyable for me. Anyway, I, I, the fact that I sat through an entire F1 thing is my, my biggest, uh, not just F, not just racing, maybe like sports acclaim <laughs> today, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I yeah don't, don't really, it's, it just feels like such a straight guy thing, which again is like another reason that uh, having Charlie on is awesome because she's breaking like all of those. Cause she is neither of those and still kicking yeah. ass. So yeah, um, she's like the embodiment of the stereotypes are stupid thing, right? Because yeah. like we, we associate car racing as being such a masculine thing. And mm-hmm. she has had to sort of uh, fight through being assigned male at birth and, and be brave about her transition all while doing professional racing. And uh, it, 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 I would I would have expected a person in that situation to walk away from it. Yeah as being too manly or too dudish, but yeah. she not only has hung in there, but loves it. She's so passionate about it. Yeah. It's, it's really awesome to talk to her and, and, and hear the energy. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, also coming up in a few days on the 31st is trans day of visibility, international trans day of visibility. Uh, yeah. Charlie, of course, is just one of the many impressive, amazing trans people uh, that we want to make sure are in the spotlight, but you know, make sure to, I don't know. I was going to say hug a trans person, but like maybe don't do that at all. Actually <laughs> pick up a copy of sports illustrated. Yeah. <laughs> do, do, uh, watch uh, pose when it, the next, their third and final season of pose is coming out. Um, Ooh. you can catch up on the, the first two seasons. I don't know. Do something. Uh, watch disclosure. Ah, oh, that is, that is such a good, um, Laverne Cox executive produced. If you haven't seen that, hopefully I've been recommending it enough. It is so good. It's about the history of trans people in media. Um, uh, But yeah, happy early International Trans Day of Visibility. And we're excited to play for you our interview with Charlie. Yeah. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, we will have Charlie Martin. And we will hear all about her fascinating journey in auto racing. Yeah. Should we take a break? Let's take a break. Check her flag. Is that what they do? Wave, wave. wave. I think that's when it's over. Uh, Half a checkered flag. A a solid flag. (laughs) A A red flag. flag. Just Just waving waving your arms. (laughs) Something. A a pride flag. Let's just wave a pride flag everywhere we go. (laughs) Fuck. Let's take a break. Break. This is the part where Mike and Kyle take a break. So are we back? We're back. (laughs) We're back. We are here with Charlie Martin. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. It's a pleasure to join you. Absolutely. So glad that you could be here all the way from England, um, which everybody is immediately going to notice the, the lovely accent, at least lovely to us, because uh, it's so it's not something we come across every day. Oh, thank you. Yeah, England is cold and gray at the moment, but... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, I guess I guess having an English accent. People sometimes think I'm Australian when I've noticed that on YouTube comments. 
but huh. um, I, I'm, I'm not an English. <laughs> yeah. uh, you're from Leicester, is that right? Leicester. Leicester? Leicester? <clears throat> yeah, Leicestershire. <laughs> Leicestershire. <laughs> the lack of knowledge of what you do starts right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Honestly, exactly. Leicester has the most random spelling. It catches everyone out. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's I, I mean, I, I, I couldn't spell it at school. So, yeah, you know, I, I feel vindicated that I didn't try to say the C. So, like at the, the very least, I got that part right—the silent C. Oh. Um, so, uh, you are a race car driver and trans rights activist. The like the intersection of stuff means you're perfect for our show, which I'm super excited about. But uh, let's let's talk about the race car driving thing first. How did you get started in that? Oh, okay, so I grew up wanting to be a fighter pilot. And wow. I'm a child of the 80s. Top Gun was my favorite film. Like, uh-huh. all I thought about growing up was trying to be a fighter pilot. Uh-huh. And I'm really terrible at maths and physics and anything uh-huh. to do with numbers. So I, I kind of gave up on that dream. And uh, around that time, I had a really good friend at school whose dad used to race, uh, not like a professional driver, but like a club motorsport. And so I think one weekend I was staying over at his house and he says, oh, yeah, like we're going racing this weekend with my dad. So you can come, but like, no, we'll be camping and stuff. And so I went for it and I just had a really amazing time. You know, we were there surrounded by cars for the entire weekend. And normally when you go to see motorsport, you think, you know, you're a spectator, you're on the other side of the fence. Whereas when you're doing it like that and you're like literally you feel involved, you're surrounded by all the cars and the noise and everything. And yeah, I just thought it was really cool. I really enjoyed it. So I used to go away with him whenever I could, whenever they were going racing, when I was a teenager and stuff. And he started racing when he was 19. But I come from like, I have no family history of motorsport or anything like that. So I was actually quite, a bit older when I started to race and I didn't get to do all the kind of go-karting and things like that that most drivers do but I just it's the year I left university I had no money like all students I didn't have two sticks to rub together I was like yeah this is a great time to start a career in motorsport (laughs) so uh so yeah I just I just kind of it all began for me then really You, you say a late start what does that what does that mean when do people normally start I mean, most people start when they're, I don't know, seven years old, eight years old. Oh, wow. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I don't know how, I don't know what the actual kind of bare minimum age is to start karting, if you can do it at six, but I guess it's got to be like seven or something. Most racing drivers you talk to will have probably done karting from quite a young age, like father, mm-hmm. son, typical kind of thing. So my dad sadly passed away when I was about 11 years old. So although he was a bit of a petrol head, uh, it was just not an option for me to, to, you know, to do any karting like that, much as I would have loved to have done it. Like all the racing I did at that point was on a PlayStation and an Xbox. Mm-hmm. So, well, you know, that's, that's how I did my racing when I was young as well. You know, that was a really big way for me to get into like rallying and racing and you know all those kind of games at that point in time it was it was all virtual it's all in my head (laughs) it's interesting because i listened to a different interview that um you've done and 
I heard the question asker say, when you were racing as a man and in the, in the like LGBT community, that just like hit my ears. And I was like, Oh boy. So look, you're talking about your, your history and like how, I don't know. How do you talk about with interviewers or just, you know, your life growing up, especially being trans in the industry? Yeah, I guess, you know, the experience that I've had is very much like for me growing up, I knew I was trans from the age of maybe six, seven years old. I guess when I first discovered that being trans is a thing, Mm-hmm. And thank God I'm not the only person in the world that feels like this. Mm-hmm. But yeah, around that kind of age. And then, so, I mean, I grew up with two older brothers. And so I inherited all their toys, clothes, mannerisms, so on and so on. So although I knew I was trans growing up and everything else, I was very much like a typical little boy, I guess you could say, because I was into doing all the things that most boys did like climbing trees and building model airplanes and you know pretending I was a fighter pilot and so on and so on and I think for for me actually that was a really confusing thing as a kid because back then when I was going up in the 80s and the 90s it was very much that if you were you know a boy that felt that you were a girl you should want to you know wear pink all the time and play with dolls and not get dirty and Mm. you know live up to a kind of gender stereotype that just Mm. wasn't me so I was really confused I was like well I you know I think I'm trans but I mean maybe I'm not like properly trans like maybe there's another level of trans for people that actually you know should change their gender Mm. to the gender that they identify as uh, but that's not me because I, you know it's, it's crazy to me looking back and thinking about that whole kind of experience and that I would even gender myself based on the lifestyle and the things that I'm interested in and say oh well you know because I like doing that then but, but yeah I mean I guess we've come a long way thank yeah. god yeah, it makes me it, it makes me wonder if you sort of identify with the tomboy stereotype. At least in, in in American culture, we have this stereotype of the girl that likes to play baseball and the girl that likes to you know do do all of these stereotypically masculine things. Um, that's it, that's that's it completely. Yeah, interesting. But that does make sense that that would add a layer of confusion. Of yeah, well, I I like you know these boy things, so called boy things. So why, I don't know, I've, I've read like things about parents being confused about their children. And they're like, well, I've told them they can, you know, they let this, I have a son who likes girl things. Well, I told him he can be gay and he can play with dolls. Like, uh, you know, the, the level of both gender and gender norms that I, I just, yeah, I, that seems like a very complicated thing to sort through when you're young. Yeah, it totally is. And because as well, there's so much, I mean, even now, I mean, hey, I'm not an expert, but I mean, scientists, you know, there's been so many studies into nature and nurture and, you know, how much of what we learn about being masculine and feminine is actually through the the environment and the the things that we're raised, you know, the, the, the situations that we're raised in. It's very hard to unpick all that because unless you're just going to get a load of children like babies and let them 
like be raised as like feral children and just see what happens. <laughs> I don't think don't think any of my parents probably really up for that experiment. So okay. you know, it's very difficult to to delineate between all these different kind of factors. But yeah, you, you know, you're totally right. And I, I mean, for me as well, it's not to say that I'm you know while I do identify as a tomboy, it's not to say that um, the, there's elements of femininity and being a woman that I, I I also like don't gravitate to I mean totally you know I I love yeah if you know if I go to an event or something or you know I'm going out you know I, I like to to dress up in a way that is you know feminine um it's really complicated as well because you know when you're growing up and like for me I just couldn't really ever experience any of the things that I wanted to experience because I felt so much pressure in society, basically like inevitably when you reach a point that it's like, okay, now I'm transitioning and I can do what I want really, because I'm just starting from a blank sheet of paper that I kind of really went off on a bit of a tangent because I was like, Oh right. Well, I think I want to be this kind of woman. This is what that looks like in my head. And the net result is that I've just settled in a place I don't know, nine years down the line, it just, just feels like me. And it's mm. it's kind of, yeah, it feels comfortable. I, I want to go back to the, the phrase specifically, like if, if someone says, I mean, even you talked about being raised like as a boy or doing boy things, like does that, for, if someone is referring to your past, using kind of masculine or male pronouns, does that feel off to you or are you okay with that? It kind of depends. I mean, I must admit, like, so if I read it in an article when a journalist you know, sent something through, like, to say, you know, you're happy with this, and they're talking about me at that period in time, and they're saying he did this, and, you know, and I'm a bit... I, it, it does kind of feel a bit weird now to me, but then there's part of me that is also like, well, if somebody's reading this, um, it, it probably, you know, a, t- a typical cisgender heterosexual person who's not so up to speed with gender identity and all these kind of things, then that's perhaps easier for that person to understand the context of the journey and everything else. So although it maybe does jar a little bit, it's, it's yeah, it's kind of complicated sometimes you know I suppose I never really felt like a guy um but then you know who feels like a who feels like a guy who feels like a woman what is what does that mean you know you can get very existential about this whole kind of thing and um but but it's like I guess I just you know if someone misgenders me now obviously yeah I'm like don't do that that's you know that that's not something that happens often thankfully but it still really gets my heckles up Mm. but it's like when yeah when I talk about my past it's 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 kind of my past is my past you know I can't change that and however I felt on the inside at that point in life you know outwardly I presented as a guy so I guess I'm kind of at peace with it yeah 
Yeah. So uh, you you started racing. If your Wikipedia article is to be believed, you started racing <laughs> in in uh, like it says began your career in 2006. I'm just wondering where where is that compared to when you started transitioning publicly? So that would have been around six years, I suppose, before I started transition because I I made the decision to transition in January 2012. Uh-huh. And so I'd been competing for, yeah, that whole time that was in club racing, which is, you know, before you get to professional level, basically. And, um, yeah, it's a nice place to be because it's very friendly. You know, at that point, there's not really much, if any, sponsorship. People are just basically spending their own money on their hobby out of their own passion. So it's, it's, it's like, you know, it's very friendly. It's like a big family like a lot of motorsport is, you know, it's like this big community of petrol heads. So it's, it's a pretty, pretty, um, pretty nice place to, to be as a person, but there's no LGBTQ visibility, like yeah. pretty much all of motorsport at any level. And so, yeah, I mean, that whole time I loved racing. It became a massive part of my identity and, I didn't really have any big ambitions at that point in time. I've got to be honest. I was just really happy to have actually gone from the position of not knowing which way you turn a screw to tighten it or undo it mm-hmm. you know, to being like, actually, wow, I've got a race car um, and I drive it and I race it myself. That feels pretty awesome. And I'm pretty happy with that. And then I think, yeah, 2012 was... I mean, coming into that period of my life was really dark because I just, things had to get really bad before they got worse, basically. For, for me, you know, I had to reach rock bottom to, the, to be in a place where I was like, God, there is only one way forwards. Because I was suicidal. I mean, I, I didn't, I just couldn't carry on living. Yeah. And I just lost all interest in being me, you know. Um, but thankfully that just left me two options one which I really didn't want to think about and the other one which was do the thing that is the scariest most like incredible thing you can imagine in your life which is transition and Mm -hmm. yeah and doing that in motorsport which again is just I mean there's no script when you transition there's no field manual no one tells you how to do it you just got to kind of jump in at the deep end and, and swim hard and certainly doing that in motorsport kind of really, really upped the stakes because it's just, yeah. you know, very, very male-dominated sport where even in 2021, it's a sport predominantly done by men and ran by men. Yeah, I, I was, I was gonna, I was gonna ask if that was the case. I assumed. I thought, I thought it was a safe assumption that <laughs> racing is this sort of macho alpha male-dominated industry and and sport. But then, as you and you were well into your career of racing when when your transition started. I, I'm I'm wondering how how did how did the guys take it? You know what I mean? Like how 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 did that start out for you? Was it was it uh, as toxic as I would fear it could be? <laughs> yeah, it was a bit. It went down like a lead balloon. <laughs> so, oh wow! <laughs> yeah, it was it was tough. I, I won't lie. I mean, the first year was slow going. You know, when I when I went back, so pretty much I just gave up for one because I just thought you know no one is ever going to accept me and that feeling of community that belonging to that big extended family i thought that was just gonna be gone 
because mm. you know you turn up at a race weekend, you go to see all your mates, and and I just thought, oh, you know, people aren't people aren't ready for this in my mm. sport. People aren't going to accept me, and I, you know, I reached out to two friends that I raced with. One of them never spoke to me again. This was on email just to say, look, guys, this is going to be a bit of a curveball for you, but this is where I'm at in my life and this is what I'm doing and it's going to be a big surprise, but I hope you're going to support me. And so, yeah, like one, two of the people that I knew the most in motorsport and one of them never really spoke to me again. And I was just like, well, that doesn't really give me a good vibe about everyone else that I don't even know quite so well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and is that still to this day? You haven't spoken to them? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been in situations. I mean, I, we, don't, uh, we don't move in the same circles in terms of the racing that I'm doing these days. But I, I mean, kind of indirectly mm. when I've been stood in a group of people. Mm. Um, but, but, you know, and never any kind of like, oh, do you know, I'm really sorry. That was a really shitty thing to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, I'm... Hey, I, in the big scheme of things, I've, I've actually lost very few people through transition. So I'm very grateful for that. But but yeah, I mean, in that situation, going back into the paddock, three or 400 people that I knew in that paddock that day, who just pretty much kind of looked at me like, you know, I just landed from another planet or something, <laughs> yeah. you know, like a sea of blank faces. It was really, really, really tough. And about... Yeah, like a small group of my friends, sort of eight or nine people that I raced with in a particular class, came over and yeah, they knew I was coming that day and they were really amazing and just gave me a big hug and were like, Oh, you know, so happy to see you and you look amazing. And I was like, No, I don't. <laughs> I look really I look like uh, you know, I just I just look very uncomfortable, I suppose. But it was the beginning and yeah, I mean that that group of people did an amazing thing that day because I really said to myself, you know, this is the beginning, this is day one and it's not going to be easy. But if I've got these few people, that's a start and that's something I can build with. And that's really the decision-making process that I went on to go back and start competing the next spring. And um, yeah, just, just gradually trying to win people over, create allies, you know, open up a dialogue, but it's really hard because I think a lot of people, you know, this this is true of so many issues in life. It's like when people feel afraid of, when people don't feel like they, they know enough about something or know nothing about something and they're afraid of saying the wrong thing or slipping up or upsetting you. It's just so easy to just think, oh, do you know what? I'll just, I'll just hang back and kind of stay here because this feels safe. But when you're on the receiving end of that, it's 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 hard, you know. It feels like microaggression, and you'll create your own narrative in your head about why those people aren't talking to you. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, it was like you know, bit by bit, you get talking to one person, and but you know, it's some really like I remember talking to one person. I'm sure they were like, "So, like, are you doing this because you're gay?" And I was like, "Well, um, I don't." Well, no, not really. I mean, I don't even know. Like, I mean, I identify as Pam anyway. So it's just mm. like, well, um, I, no, it's not because of my sexuality. It's because of my gender identity. You know, gender identity and physical sex and sexual preference are three independent things. 
and trying to explain that and then being like, oh, but we thought it was like, you know, a group of us were talking and we thought it was because maybe you were gay and you wanted to be with a guy, but you felt bad about that. So you were changing your gender to be a woman. So I was just like, <laughs> these kind of things. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, it's just that that was the level of, uh, of, of people's understanding and, and, you know, just having to really help educate and the more you kind of pe- tell people they're like oh right okay i get it oh okay oh well that's cool good for you and yeah. you know they tell a few other people and, and gradually over the course of the year you, you know you've got a good friendly network of people but it doesn't happen overnight that'd be the longest way around to being gay is, is <laughs> that's just several more steps than needed to be gay but i, know, yeah. I was like what are you crazy like, <laughs> Do you do they then find yourself explaining what trans is and means to a lot of people? I, yeah, I mean, in those situations, I did. Yeah, it was like a regular thing, really. But yeah. I mean, you know, bless people. I just, I, I guess back then as well, I'd just be grateful that someone had actually taken the time to reach out and engage me in a conversation about this, yeah. because that's the hardest thing when people don't give you an opportunity, and you don't want to just walk up to people and be like, "Right, guys, so." Um, <laughs> Let's have a talk about what's happening right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, you yeah. know, it's it's just I think someone initiating that conversation. I think, oh great, well I can I can kind of explain this finally, and then they'll go away and they'll chat to Steve and Phil and Tom <laughs> and 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 you know gradually you get to a position where it's just like a normal thing and like people understand and you're just talking about cars, <laughs> you know, and just other stuff and it's it's. Um, but yeah, I mean, even now, I mean, I, I've got friends who come from, I don't know, pe- people I've, you know, cause like quite a few sort of older friends that I know um, locally who who grew up at a time where, you know, being trans just wasn't even a thing. And, yeah, and yeah. you know, I'll, I'll sit down and we'll just talk about things and, um, you know, that just pop up in a conversation. They'll be like, oh, you know, so I was thinking the other day about... You know, and I, I mean, I'm 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 very open. I'm I'm happy chatting to people and educating people. For sure, if someone starts asking me an uncomfortable question about like surgery within meeting mm, yeah. me in like three minutes or something, that's that's yeah. not cool. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing to me how many different ways people can try to ask the questions. Like, what's in your pants and who do you want to fuck? And like, but they know that they can't just come right out with that, so they have to figure <laughs> out all these ways to like dance the conversation in a way that maybe they get it out of you like a Ouija board or something. <laughs> and um, and and how quickly, like, just by being trans and them finding out that they feel that it's acceptable to go there it is is um. I don't know. It's it's this weird combination of like human curiosity and human nature, but also propriety. Like it's yeah, and, and it still blows my mind. You know, occasionally, I, I someone will still have the you know the audacity to just come out and ask me a question like that. Um, yeah. And it, you know, someone I've not met from Adam. And I, I mean, I was talking. I did a talk a couple of weeks ago actually for LGBT History Month, and I said to you know to try and give that some context to the people on the talk and i said you know that's like you know would you go up to somebody at a party or at work at a company you just joined and within like five minutes of meeting them just start asking them about their vagina <laughs> or like like you're just like well, why why on earth would you do that i'm like yeah exactly why on earth would you do that like think about it it's just not but, but it, it, it just yeah it never ceases to amaze me how um 
people's kind of insidious curiosity can just kind of snowball and before you know it it's just like yep you just said that i was almost (laughs) going to try to relate it to gay culture but then i was like no other dudes would come up to me and ask me about my dick so maybe that's not a good comparison (laughs) that's not a good base benchmark for comparison so i mean i mean you know there's like conversations you have with friends which is one thing but like when it's a complete stranger it's yeah i wrote down something that um you said in an interview uh, talking about pan, uh, I think it was uh, pan awareness. And uh, you said, I had to almost dismantle my entire masculine identity in a very visible way. And that really, you know, of course, I'm I'm trying to connect it to my experience. And there's, there's part of that that I think... Uh, we talk about being gay, like looking back and why did I do all the things that I did and who am I really and kind of questioning that. So there's part of that that feels um, familiar, but I'm just curious from, you know, the the added layer of trans and adding the gender line to like, like how do you kind of reformulate your feelings and thoughts about yourself based on gender after having all that lived experience? Yeah, that's a pretty massive thing to do i mean it's a great question as well because inevitably when you move from say the point of being a guy you know someone that socially identifies in a masculine way to just going to the complete other spectrum you spend some time in this kind of middle ground as well where you just you do end up i think dismantling your whole idea of what is gender what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? You know, what does that mean in the context of, I don't know, in your job, when you go to play sport, when you go to the gym and work out and the types of things you do in the gym even. There's all Mm. these situations you find yourself in where you're just suddenly thinking, or for me at least, you know, I, you know, like the gym is a typical one where I think, you know, I'm in the gym, I'm working out, oh, is this is this like is this workout routine does this is this make me look really like butch is this quite a manly mm-hmm. thing that i'm doing right now um what is the manly thing i don't know does it really matter i don't know why am i thinking this does it matter yes it does matter oh my god i feel really uncomfortable you know like these little conversations <laughs> are going on in your head and yeah. you know, with all these times you, you know I, I guess i'd find myself thinking um i had a really amazing therapist that i had cbt with for about i don't know two years or something before I actually started to transition and he said this thing uh it's like your internal gender police because <laughs> I was recounting this experience I had to him when I was really young and I was um at school and I was playing with a load of the girls and they were all plaiting each other's hair and they were teaching me how to do it <clears throat> and I suddenly had like I was just totally absorbed in this moment really enjoying what I was doing and then I suddenly had this like awareness that like a, like a few of the teachers were looking at me, just like what is Charlie doing? Like that's I don't know. I, and I just whether I imagined it or not, but I felt really really uncomfortable. And I was telling him this, and he's like, "Yeah, it's like you have this internal gender police, which is like when you're doing things and you kind of sense yourself like, oh God, I shouldn't be doing this. This is this is not in line with." the gender identify as or the gender that I'm trying to identify as. And I mean, the the point I'm in now is like, I don't really think about stuff really that much. Um, Like a good example is I wanted to take up kickboxing this year because I thought it would be really good 
thing to add into my training mm. it's really good for cardio it's really good for building up some good like upper body strength for racing and everything so I put up a, a, a punch bag in my garage because all the gyms are shut and like I've been out there today just like kicking the crap out of the bag <laughs> and it's really but you know and, I, and I'll put like video of that on Instagram or something but I would never dream of doing that like in the early days of transition because I just think god that's like that's way too like that's like a guy thing and people will look at me doing that and they'll be like well you know like we i can't accept you as a woman i can't take you seriously as a woman because what you're doing is something that's really butch and to be i I don't know and and a lot of that's probably in my head but it's yeah i don't know I, as you were saying that, I, I I really like the idea of the, well, I hate it, of course, but like I, that idea of the internal gender police. But I, I was just thinking when you were saying that, like there is that external gender police as well of I can't do that because I need people to accept me as a woman. And that looks like a male thing. Or even before that, I was thinking like in groups of men growing up, like boys will call each other out if they do something that's too feminine and say that's gay. Like we all kind of know what you're supposed to do in these different gender roles. So there's an external part as well. There there really is. I mean, one of the things when I went back to racing was because back at that point in time, I used to run my own car and, do every, you know, I did everything. I just turn up on my own with a race car on a trailer and sometimes it's chucking it down with rain and like, you know, you, you, or even, even if it's not, but yeah, my point is you're, you're just kind of cracking on with what you've got to do, chucking stuff like tires and jacks and climbing under the car and, you know, cutting all your knuckles up, trying to do something on the engine. And, and I, I was like, I don't feel, again, I, I don't feel that people will accept me, especially in this environment um, where there's no trans visibility and, and people look at me and they probably just see the same old Charlie from 2011. And and I'm running around like hauling ass, kind of trying to do all this stuff basically because I've got to get it done. And uh, And I just thought, yeah, that's like, I need to go to a point where, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like just way more feminine and girly and like not like I'm gonna turn up in a pink race suit or something but <laughs> but it, it's it, it's all these yeah it's all this kind of process that goes on in your head of like second guessing things that you have to do for people to accept you and actually thinking yeah I need to go and go the extra mile to to do that and and then when you look back on that and you think yeah like why would I even give a shit really <laughs> basically <laughs> But I'm in a very different place now to the place I was at back then. You know, back then I would I would answer questions that make me cringe now, thinking, God, I can't believe, like, I was in a group and six people were asking me things and I was just answering them mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it was – I was so desperate to be accepted by people. It was much easier to just give up really personal information which in a way was probably educating them, but was also very like gratuitous Mm. Um, rather than just be like stand my ground and create an awkward social situation and be like, why are you asking me that? Mm. Why, why, you know, think about what you're saying there and and throw it back at them. Like I might do now, potentially, I I don't know, but it's just the things you do and, you know, you become a different, or at least I did, I became a different person going through that process. Mm. I mean, it, it makes sense to me that you, 
you can't stand your ground if you don't know what ground you have quite yet. So that does make sense to me of learning what your space is and what you can do and what your kind of your comfort level, at least with. All yeah, yeah, because when you exactly when you don't feel confident in that space and you feel a bit like, oh, OK, I'm starting to get some acceptance. And I don't mean to sound like, you know, because a lot of people are really nice to me. I don't mean to sound like I'm bad mouthing people, but um, it's just more that it was a real learning experience for everybody. Everybody in your life at that point in time transitions with you because they know the old you and mm. get used to a, a slightly different version of you, I suppose. Um, but yeah, when you don't know really if you're going to be accepted, I, I felt like, you know, I was so grateful for those times when you know, I come away from a weekend and I think, Oh, that was really nice. And, you know, people invited me to do stuff and we went for a meal in the pub and, everybody was cool and yeah and you think oh you know that's that would really feel like progress and so you wouldn't want to um you know I mean I'm not a confrontational person and I never have been and I don't think I really ever will be I'm just I'm more confident and assertive now but I'm I'm still like you know if someone nine times out of ten if someone's asked me an awkward question I'll probably just try and deflect it I'm not I'm not like a um I'm not militant, I hope, anyway. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I do I do want to ask, then, if, if it's if it's okay, from my sort of awkward cisgendered perspective, uh, things for, for trans people, particularly trans women, have, have gotten so much more vitriolic and, and um, people are just hyperventilating about trans women in which restrooms they use. And I, I think one thing that gets lost though, is sort of the, the, the personal feelings and decisions that a trans woman makes in this space, in the political climate that we're in. Can, can you, can you speak to something? Can you humanize it for us a little bit? Cause I, it can't be easy. I, yeah. I mean, it blows my mind too. I mean, I, I've, yeah, it just blows my mind that people feel threatened by trans women using a bathroom i i, I don't know I don't, I don't know i mean you know people go to the bathroom because they need to go to the bathroom like yeah. you know yeah. <laughs> it's a sim- it's as simple as that right <laughs> it, it's a it's a super different space and as a gay man i notice myself having so much internalized anxiety whenever i'm around teenage boys and when i peel that apart it's because society expects that I'm going to be a pedophile, that I'm going to do something disgusting to, to these boys if I'm left alone with them. And it's absolutely not true. It's coming from nowhere. It's nowhere even remotely on my list of things that I want to do. And yet here I am in this increasingly awkward and uncomfortable situation because of that horseshit message that has, has, has gotten into people's minds. So I, I I imagine, but but uh, don't know that, that there's a similar sort of tension or or self talk going on when you're just trying to figure out which where where to pee, right? Yeah, it, it, totally. I I, and I I mean that's an interesting way that you explain it too. Because I mean I I used to go, so I used to go to a gym about a year into transition, and mm. I used to use the changing room there, and I used to really worry actually not so much when I was using toilets and things but I used to get really nervous using that gym 
because it just that someone would call me out, someone that would challenge me and confront me and just how how uncomfortable that would have been for me and that person that hypothetical person might well say oh you know it's hypothetical it's it's uncomfortable for me it's like no I think if you're that person being challenged for doing nothing wrong for literally just going to use the gym or use the bathroom it's a horrible feeling and I, I mean I've I've heard stories of people uh, like or school children you know who are trans who have not been to the loo all day because or you know or, or you know adult trans women because they're so scared of being confronted about mm-hmm. using the bathroom mm-hmm. i mean what is wrong with the world really uh, it's just horrible to think that some people have to go through that on a daily basis they yeah. just feel like there's there's no way they can use a bathroom yeah. Well, I think that's one of the things that's so powerful about all the things you're describing of the work you've had to do to come out to people and explain to them what it means to be trans is I think so often that part of the discussion, the fact that people are worried about the bathroom is because they just don't know what they don't know any trans people and they have no idea what it means. So you, yeah. I, it seems like you've already done so much in teaching people what it means and who a trans person is. I mean, the thing is, as well, being trans myself, of course, you, you're always the resident expert on your course. <laughs> and that's the thing that I found in so many situations is that it's really down to you to educate people, because I would much rather tell someone, I'd much rather talk to someone for 10, 15 minutes and know that what I've told them is, uh, you know, an honest account and, and something that, that is going to be much more useful to them than them reading a lot of headlines um you know in the uk some elements of the media print some horrible stuff about trans people and it's like if people see that and they don't know a trans person then they're going to have a very skewed opinion of of what the whole lived experience is for being trans you know it's like when you see headlines printed like you know doctors give sex change drugs to six-year-olds or something you know something that's just like you're like who the hell writes this crap seriously (laughs) how how does that even you know and editors who will actually allow that to appear in a paper and you know but people read that people will see that and then be like oh my god like i'm paying all this tax and it's going on stuff like this and it, it creates hatred and it creates you know all this all this negativity that yeah then results in trans women being assaulted and confronted in bathrooms it's 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 a horrible cycle that uh, yeah it, uh, for me i mean i i feel lucky that i have a platform and i can use that to educate people and just also you know talk about being trans but talk about a lot of other elements of my life and you know being trans isn't the thing that defines me sure it's shaped me into the person that i am but it's like um you know, like any trans person, you know, there's there's so many things that goes into each and every one of us as an individual. Yeah. So, so speak speaking of other facets of your life, uh, I, I just I, realized, Mike, that you said let's start with auto racing, and then we like did not. Then we, I think I might have quickly veered us away from that. Well, I, I'm super <laughs> interested in um, again your Wikipedia article. This is the extent of my research. I'm very very good at what I do. Um, <laughs> 
but but it it says, it says that uh, y- you compete in endurance racing. What is endurance racing? I wrote that down too. What, what does that mean? Because it sounds exhausting. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it kind of is. Like so, so endurance racing is where you race for anything from like an hour up to twenty four hours, and. Oh. I, I guess it's it's defined by the fact that you will share the car between typically two or three drivers. And so um, it's, yeah, like some of the most famous races in the world, the 24 Hours of the Mon, the, the Daytona 24 Hours, the, uh, the Nürburgring 24-hour race, you know, these are the, the Spa 24 Hours, you know, the big kind of like, headline races that exist in endurance racing but yeah it's 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 rather than like a sprint race where one driver gets in the car you have a standing start and you race for 15 laps or something yeah so in 24 hours if you're with three people in a car do you like race once for eight hours or do you race eight times for an hour each time like how so it's done on a stint, which is normally defined by how much fuel you got in the tank. Well, I mean, a, a full tank of fuel generally equals a stint. So say that lasts for an hour, you come in at an hour and you might do a driver change and you might um, sit in the car while they put a new set of tyres on and refuel it and twiddle your thumbs for I don't know, a couple of minutes, and then you just carry on out. So typically a triple stint is the most you do in one go. So three hours in the car or three and a half hours or something. Yeah. I was going to ask, speaking of bathrooms, how you go to the bathroom if a 24-hour race is happening. But that explain, this explains it. I don't think you are in the car for 24 hours. Do you keep right. a lot of empty bottles in the car with you? Yeah, yeah, we do. <laughs> we got like, uh, you do hear stories of, Certain race drivers, he supposedly, uh, you know, had a pee in the seat or something. I guess, <laughs> if, it's a, I guess if it's an emergency. I mean, the, the thing is, because yeah, you can get pretty hot in there too. So you've got to take on a lot of fluid. But then it, uh, it's it's not great for your focus when you really need a pee, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah. Like, that happens to me when I try to drink a bunch of water sitting on my couch. And I'm like, no, I can't. I have to stop working. So I can't imagine doing something hard. I mean, I've never had it. Yeah, I've, ne- I've never had to um, break the seal in a race. But, um, I-, I must admit, I've had it when I'm like sat on the start line. And, you know, you've maybe got sort of five, ten minutes before you're going to do the formation lap. And then we'll do a rolling start. And I'm just like, oh my god, I really need a wee. I really need a wee. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. <laughs> like, I know, but but I don't. But then you know, to get in and out of the car and unplug all the systems, and of course you've got like a helmet on and a hands device, and then your balaclava and then your headphones, and you have to kind of take everything off and put it back on properly. And um, it, you know, it's a bit of a like, ah, oh, then you don't want to rush, and it, it's horrible. I remember like she doing a race, and I was like, there was a mirror in the cubicle in the in the where the toilet was in the pit and um i basically like <laughs> left my helmet and my hands device on and just i was like sitting having a wee just, like, staring <laughs> back at my reflection i was like 
this is so random. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, oh, if I can see myself now. <laughs> that seems like one of those moments where you're like, I am. I did not expect to be in this <laughs> ever, <laughs> to have this happen ever. Yeah, it's like, this must be what it's like as an astronaut, kind of. <laughs> Um, something else that pops out at me uh, on your on your CV here that you were on Ninja Warrior UK. Yeah, twice. What is that all about? What is, I I I don't even know what that is. <laughs> Isn't that where you run and you like do all the things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. <laughs> Wasn't that helpful? <laughs> Wasn't that a good description? <laughs> that's exactly. I think that's their strap line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, so okay. I had a period where I didn't even have a television for a few years. So I didn't even know Ninja Warrior really was like a proper thing. Um, I'd kind of heard of it, I think. So I was around at one, my, uh, one of my brothers and he was going on about it. And he said, yeah, yeah, Ninja Warrior. And this guy had to like this thing. And and I was like, no, no, I don't know. I didn't see it. So he shows me it on the uh, on his phone on YouTube. and um, And at the end of the clip, it's like, they go, yeah, this is the season finale and we're uh, looking for people for season three. So if you think you've got what it takes, send your, uh, you know, get in touch. Uh, so to my brother, I was like, oh, I reckon I'd be really good at that. And uh, I'm, I'm going to, I reckon I might give it a go. And my, my brother was like, nah, don't, yeah, yeah. Like as if that's going to happen kind of thing. And I don't know, I've, I've found that I've got a real thing for proving people wrong. So... <laughs> Like if someone says, basically if someone says, nah, you can't do that or whatever. I'd just be like, right, watch me. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. This is, this has been like a, both a blessing and a curse in my life. So uh, <laughs> it's a big moment when you get up there and you stand on the course because all those times you sat on the couch at home and watched people <laughs> stack and just been like, no, you idiot. Why are you doing it like that? Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, you suddenly appreciate actually it's quite hard. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. yeah uh, but I just, I trained quite a lot for it and I just, yeah, smashed it. Got up mm-hmm. the wall first time by like a couple of fingertips, I think. And, awesome. is, is it one that you like i've seen the american one do you like hit the button when you yeah get you up hit there? the massive you hit the massive red button and all the smoke goes off and dry ice and you do your big hero pose <laughs> yeah. and... what is that feeling like when you smash the button oh it's a really really good feeling i, I think it's one of my proudest moments i was just like winning at life right now winning at life. <laughs> that is so cool I, I i do want to ask briefly like there's so much um I assume it's the same in the UK. There's there's so much transphobia right now in this country, uh, couched in the language of saving women's sports. And um, I'm 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 wondering if 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 like Ninja Warrior UK, that seems like uh, the the kind of concept where there might be friction in this space. What what was there any? How did they handle it? Well, do you know it's interesting because back when I did it, I wasn't really out out as trans, so. Like if you sort of research me in depth on you on you know on Google, you'd have probably figured it out. But I was like, I don't really. The thing is, I thought if I tell them that I'm trans, then they'll just want to make it all about me being trans. Mm, I don't yeah. know. Maybe I'd be wrong, but that's that was my gut feeling. So I was like, on my audition tape I sent in, I was like, 
I'm a racing driver and da 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 da. So they were like, awesome, you're a racing driver. We want to get you on the show. And they came out and they filmed me racing and they did this cool little VT and everything. And so the, the, you know, the fact that I was trans never even got brought up. And actually that was a really nice thing for me. But then when I was on the show and bearing in mind, yeah, I did like the series after as well. And I met some incredible women who were you know, from all walks of life. I met women who were physically stronger than me, who had better grip strength, um, all, you know, like a lot of fit, strong, athletic people. Mm-hmm. And I mean, my feeling is that my strength, which has declined as a result of not having testosterone in my body and taking estrogen, I know my physical strength has declined. Like I can measure that through things I've done through half marathons and all this stuff. You know, my, my physical strength now is in line with that of a cisgender woman, my age who works out five times a week. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of, that's what I found on the program. Uh, and actually that was a really interesting thing for me. Whenever I, whenever I come up against this, uh, you know, this, this argument, which is like, you know, quite an often, something that gets raised in in discussions and debates it's really helpful to me because it gave me like a real context to measure my performance against and Mm. i mean this idea that trans women are going to dominate women's sport it's just trans people make up roughly around one percent of the population that's the data that we have at the moment that's what's widely kind of accepted so you think 1% of the population, okay, how many of that 1% even do sport? Okay, mm-hmm. straight away, you can probably say quite a lot of people don't. And then how many of that remaining pool of people do sport at like, you know, I go for a run a few times a week, I cycle, you know, whatever that sport is, how many then do that at like a competitive level or uh, amateur level or a professional level? By the time you get to like pro athletes, you're talking about such a tiny proportion of people in the world. It, it, this idea that trans women are going to like take, I, I mean, I'm all about sport, trying to make sport fair, and e- but, but sport isn't equal because people aren't equal, right? People come in different shapes and sizes. People are born in different countries and grow up in different environments where they have um, maybe a, a better better vo2 max because they're born at like a different altitude or mm-hmm. they're better in hotter conditions or do you know it's like there's so much variation in people's physiology before you start saying that like oh trans women um you know are just gonna beat everyone and and or this idea that um i know martina navratilova she kind of went back on what she said at one point she was in saying well you know someone could basically transition to to you know to with the single goal of smashing it in women's sport as if you know you would just go through transition like it's something you would just do for fun yeah <laughs> i don't know it's um it makes me really sad when i um you know when i read some of the stories out there and i mean we saw last year that trans women have been banned from professional rugby by the um, rugby's governing body. Um, Mm. We have to be careful that we don't exclude people from feeling like they can be part of sport, right? 
I mean, that's yeah. the number one thing. Sports should be available to everyone and you can't put up barriers just to say, you know, potentially there's a, there's a slim chance that you might be a bit better than this person. So therefore you're not welcome. It's crazy. It's, uh, we've talked about cishet view on being trans or that experience. I'm curious about within the queer community, there's still a lot, you know, even gay men, like there's still a lot we have to do in terms of acceptance of non, you know, gay, lesbian, like uh, other people within the community. I'm curious what you've gotten from the queer community, from the LGBT community. Yeah, I mean, I'd say I've had a, a pretty positive experience. Uh, I mean, I live in the countryside, so in terms of the spaces that I go to and where I socialize, um, you know, I'm like the only kind of trans person around here that I know. So where I live, there aren't really many exclusively gay spaces like clubs or bars or anything like that at all, in fact. So certainly on a day-to-day basis, I guess I don't really encounter many other LGBTQ people, Hmm. um, which is a shame. But that's just kind of where I live geographically, you know. But I mean, I've never had any any friction from other parts of the community, whether I'm talking about being online or, you know, being at pride events or, um, you know, companies I've gone to work with or, you know, working with their internal LGBTQ networks and things. I, I guess I've always felt that people are, in my personal space and in my personal experience, people are just like open and pretty cool that's great that is very that's very good to hear and i know you're super involved in the lgbt community i wrote down um let's see you were stonewall's sports ambassador your ambassador for racing pride it just you you seem so involved in the lgbt community which is so helpful and so awesome of you for you know about a million different intersections of who you are and giving this ability to to women in racing to trans people to pan people to like you know count the ways that you're giving visibility so that's awesome i guess i just feel lucky that i have a platform and i feel like it's an opportunity to do good in the world so i want to do the most i can with it you know it's yeah. it's uh i guess that that experience of me transitioning back in club motorsport i realized even in that little microcosm that i was in back then i could really it taught me that i could have a big impact and Mm. and i'm like well you know if you can scale that up the more people you can reach if you're going to be if you've got a positive story and you can tell it in a way that engages people that helps them and helps their understanding and makes things easier for other people that are following your footsteps then why wouldn't you want to do that so yeah it's a big part of my motivation I feel like we should end on a racing question. Oh, what <laughs> kind of what kind of car are you racing in now? <laughs> get, get, do, is there oh, basically like what color is it? Oh, <laughs> cute. yeah, I like that. I like that. Actually, that's a very good question because oh. um, <clears throat> so this season I'm racing in the Brit Car Endurance Championship and I'm racing a Praga R1. So it's this amazing car that looks like a spaceship. It's all <laughs> carbon fiber. Um, Praga is a super cool company from Czechia and they've been going for 114 years. They've made everything from planes. Well, I was going to say planes, trains, and automobiles, but <laughs> planes, tanks, and automobiles, and trucks, and they make uh, currently make aircraft. They make the uh, 
Praga that I'm racing. They make go-karts. They make a, a truck that ran in the Dakar rally. And um, so, yeah, this is a super cool car. It's like a rocket ship. And we're going to wrap it in about two weeks and we've not actually revealed delivery yet so um this could be a bit of a bit of a scoop for anyone listening <laughs> it's it's gonna be uh it's gonna so the car is carbon fiber and so it's gonna be carbon fiber with white and red i'm sorry are you it, it's cum fiber <laughs> is this what i'm hearing <laughs> no it's carbon fiber carbon <laughs> Here, I thought you were going to ask about the Devil Wears Praga. <laughs> yeah, you can clearly tell based on our reactions to all the things you said were were <laughs> were jokes and gay things. Um, this is the first ever time we've gotten an auto specific scoop out of anyone or anything. So. <laughs> uh, it's uh, yeah, it's it's. I'll send you guys a photo of it. It's. Um, yeah, it, it's really amazing to be racing this car this year. It's like the quickest thing I've ever driven. So it's, it's super cool. That's awesome. You also lit up when you started talking about it, which that's inspiring, if nothing else. It's just <laughs> like your your passion for it is palpable. Yeah. Um, so did we do it? Did we, we, yeah. We, we talked about auto racing some, right? Well, yeah, there's, there are a couple questions about auto racing, I think. <laughs> More than I expected. So. so should we take a break? Yeah, let's take a break. All right. Pit stop. Pit, pit stop, room, car. <laughs> but we, we say box, generally. Like when, you, when your crew chief wants you to come in, they'll say box. Or you might say, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm going to box. Or um, I'm in the box. The fact that I now know like I know American and, and British ways to say pit stop, I'm feeling very sporty right now. <laughs> yeah, Is that your straightest of the week, Kyle? You could just got it. <laughs> <laughs> this is the part where Mike and Kyle take so are we back we're back <laughs> we're back uh we're gonna do our gayest and straightest we're gonna do our gayest and straightest but first charlie martin if people want to know more about you what you do want to find you on the interwebs what should they do they should just search go charlie um which is will take you straight to me um my Twitter and Instagram are go Charlie M and uh, you can also find me on Twitch with that as well. So, uh, but yeah, if you search go Charlie, you'll, you'll find my website, you'll find lots of interesting Charlie based information. And it's, wow. is it later this month you'll be uh, racing in the brick car championship? That is all starting next month in April. So yeah, nice. it's going to be the uh, 23rd, 24th is our first race at Silverstone. We're going to be out testing at Anglesey. And uh, yeah, I'm really, really excited. We had a little delay um, inevitably with things, but we're still doing a full season. And yeah, I can't get, can't not get enough of the car this year. It's just going to be absolutely epic. Nice. Well, awesome. Be sure to check that out, everybody. Um, hopefully we can find it in the States, too. It's, it'll be televised somewhere. <laughs> it, will um, be. Our yeah, it will be televised. So I'll, I'll give you guys a link, oh, too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll share it. We'll share it out. So people, so people can watch. Um, our website is gayishpodcast.com. All of our social media is at gayish podcast. Our hotline, you can send us text messages or leave us voicemails is 5855-GAYISH. That's 585-542-9474. Standard rate supply. Our email is gayishpodcast at gmail.com. 
And our physical mailing address is Post Office Box 19882, Seattle, Washington, 98109. A quick programming note, just so everybody knows or remembers, because I've been telling you at the end of every episode lately, we are having a happy fourth birthday gayish extravaganza explosion something <laughs> on Saturday, April the 3rd at 6 p.m. Pacific time. Be sure to send us presents because we're like... We're all about that, and we'll love you forever. I knew it was a celebration. I didn't know it was an extravaganza. Okay, I'm yeah. going to prepare some really good stuff instead of phoning it in. Great. Great. No, I, I mean, I'm going to pay somebody else to make a cake instead of doing it myself. So That's smart. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's do our gays and straightest. Kyle, do you want to go first? Yeah, I would love to. It's, uh, it's funny because it's the second episode in a row that um, you talked about, well, plaiting hair. That's that braiding for okay i i um uh, when i was growing up had the same thing where i like wanted to braid girls girls hair but that was weird and like never got to do it so because of covid my hair is long enough that i can actually braid my hair so uh, this is the first time i've ever i mean not like horribly it's like right in front of my face it's not like a anything reasonable but the fact that my hair is long enough and i can actually braid it has been a lot of fun so that's my gayest uh my straightest is uh using paper towels as napkins because i don't know who's fancy enough to have separate napkins as a like entirely separate paper product that they would get like it seems redundant so that's awesome uh so the um i'll go next the uh, the strangest thing about me this week is buying clothes without trying them on from costco <laughs> that's not just straight that's like small town married given up family straight yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. go, go to costco which is a a, a big uh like membership box store for groceries mostly but then they always have like they always have clothes floating around and i'm like yeah i guess i'm about a about a medium sure and grab grab them <laughs> um yeah anyway and, and then the, the gayest thing about me this week is also shopping related uh, we're just so tantalizingly close to being at the end of covid here that i have been shopping for gay resorts to go to when it's safe to travel again and just checking out all of the all of the sex i might have someday as, as soon as we can <laughs> is it gonna be back in um uh that place that we've been um, Palm Springs. Palm Springs. Yeah. Well, the sex hotel we went to yeah. with Davy Wavy. Yeah. I mean, I looked at it. I don't think I'm going to do that one though. Okay. Been there, done that. It's time for new climbs. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, Charlie, how about you? What's your gayest straightest? Uh, so uh, the gayest thing I think I've done this week was today. I went and did a load of boxing in my garage. Which is, yeah. is that quite? Is that quite a butch thing to yeah. do? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually videoed myself doing it as well because uh, I just want to check out my technique. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, what is my life? Um, <laughs> so, and the straightest thing I've done is that I made fire. <laughs> so I have an open fire in my lounge, and I really like having a fire. And I'm really good at making fire, actually. So, <laughs> um, that, I, I'm glad you explained the context of just. Like, I was just hoping you weren't just lighting things on fire for fun, or, or <laughs> well, I don't know, do whatever you want, I guess. But I, I did. I did need to blow myself up in my garden actually a few weeks ago with fire because <laughs> I had um, I had some stuff I had to burn, and um, I put some petrol on it, and um, it kind of exploded. <laughs> it's like 
yeah, keep, keeps you on your toes. That's scary. Yeah, maybe yeah, let's keep of... the gas in the car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think sometimes, uh, you know, it's good to scare yourself. Makes you feel alive. I was just going to say, remind yourself that you're alive or something. Yeah, sure. I still, I still feel something. Yeah, that's yeah. That's, uh, that's me being alive. So. Well, that is it. This has been Gayish. A special thank you, as always, to Charlie Martin for agreeing to be on the show today. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's been a pleasure. And then I didn't prepare again, but now I'm pulling it up. And we'd like to thank our super crap bridgers, uh, Cian and Javi, Chris Cacciatore and Jerome York, Christopher Farrell, Tipsy McStumbles, and Thomas B. Yeah. And a special fuck you to J.K. Rowling, just because I wanted to say her <laughs> name in a terrible way. <laughs> we, had, we don't usually do special fuck yous. If we're, if we're doing that, special we're, fuck you to, to Mark, the guy I dated four years ago. Yeah, fuck yeah. you, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think if I could get one in there as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah Who do you, you hate? Yeah, who's <laughs> terrible? Who do I hate? Uh, <laughs> oh, I don't know. Uh, I'm, not, I'm normally trying to be so nice. That I, I don't have an automatic list of people. That just I, pick uh, a Tory. Any Tory will do. <laughs> <laughs> um, fuck you, that person that drove me off the track last night in the sim race. Yeah, yeah. Damn it. <laughs> fuck you, that guy. Thank you. <laughs> This has been Gayish uh, from the CN and Hobby Studio. I'm Mike Johnson. I'm Kyle Getz. Until next week, be butch, be fabulous, be you. See you next Boom. week. Oh no! I accidentally muted you. I think because I clicked. I was like, "What does this microphone button do?" <laughs> It won't let me undo it, so I think you have to undo it. Hello. Okay, great. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ.